0: Hello and welcome to the D-Program podcast. I'm your host, Dexter Kearley, joined with my co-host, Shannon. Hello. Uh, This is the first ever book club episode of the podcast. We recorded this... Ooh.
1: Well, we were still in Amarillo. So it was
0: before... Did we list our house in July?
1: August. The very beginning of August. And then we moved like two or three weeks later.
0: I think we recorded this at the end of July then, because it was right before we listed our house. I think mm-hmm. we were going to list our house the next day. Anyway, uh, this is uh, with Brad Van Valkenburg. He's a former uh, English teacher, high school English teacher.
1: Yeah, amongst other things. He amongst said. other things. Yeah. He yeah. also taught a few other classes.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, history and... Was it history and I would and say Egypt? like economics. Economics, something. that's what I was thinking too. Well, you'll hear in this uh, he episode. He will tell you he what will, he teaches. He will tell you what he teaches because uh, he did at the beginning of this episode. So, but uh, it was a fun episode. It was fun to sit down and talk about a book and see the different approaches that the three of us all had to it and you know, even down to like research techniques, you know, everybody kind of approached it slightly differently. So it was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. And I am really looking forward to doing more uh, book club episodes. I think the next book club episode we're going to do is Animal Farm. George Orwell's Animal Farm. It's a shorter book, uh, very uh, allegorical
1: Yeah, I Um, think it's a good one, too, because most people probably read it in high school. Yes. But when you're in high school, you can't quite... Like, you can understand it, but you don't really care, I guess, in high school.
0: Yeah, it's... So I
1: think it's nice to go back and reread it when you're a little older, mm -hmm, a little more capable of understanding. Well, and
0: especially, like, right now, it's a great way of conceptualizing elite, elitism... How uh, the difference between social classes and how certain things are expected of different classes and demanded in a lot of ways of different classes. Anyway, uh, that's gonna be our next one. So if you already have a copy, uh, go ahead and read it. And if you don't have a copy yet, get a copy. So uh, it's a great book to have laying around the house. So we are, this is our second recording in the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. So, we're coming to you from the kitchen. What is that? That air
1: conditioning just turned on. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll I'll go turn,
0: turn, that, we'll turn that AC off. But uh, this is a throwback. I'm, I busted out my old Yeti mic. Uh, so, to, the
1: quality sucks. That's yeah, why. Yeah,
0: it's a little bit more echoey. but We're not
1: usually the sucky.
0: Yeah, but we're, we're kind of running i wouldn't say running behind but say you know, that that
1: sounds unprofessional
0: it does sound unprofessional <laughs> but we've had a very busy morning and i'm about to go to work tomorrow we've had sick
1: well a sick and child, sick for the child past week and and oh my
0: gosh just life,
1: life. <laughs> just life
0: so but we've been having a blast i would think or i would say <laughs> I, I would think, I think we're I having believe, fun i believe i'm not we're sure fun. about that i believe we're having fun have to keep that mantra going in my head but no we've been having a great time uh i've been plugging away at the property around here trying to clear brush which has been uh fun challenging um it's it's been interesting there's a lot of thorns down here like thorns that'll cut straight through a leather glove so i've i've been dealing with you've
1: been stabbed
0: i've been stabbed a bunch recently But it's also been fun because I've been getting to drive a tractor around, uh, or Callahan, well Emmett both. They both love
1: sitting in the tractor. They
0: love riding around in the tractor. So I've been using that to help with the brush and stuff. And so it's been been a really good time, really fun change of pace. Uh, I've been shooting my bow a little bit in preparation for uh, trying to get a deer this year. So... Saw a few across uh, the property, so I'm going to try to get one. This will really be my first year of having the opportunity to hunt.
1: To hunt. Yeah. So
0: this is going to be fun, and check out my Instagram. Hopefully you'll be seeing a picture of a, of a dead deer on there soon. Uh, Shannon has been killing it at school, knocking out her class two days a week.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm taking uh, principles of language this semester, so it's kind of... It's funny because it's almost an intro level class, but like grad school intro level mm-hmm. so it's it covers the basics of all of linguistics, uh phonology, morphology, syntax, and semantics, but it's still not quite intro level
0: yeah, well, and I foundational it, maybe It's funny because I can gauge most of the time I can gauge how hard your class is based off of, like, the level of stress that you have in regards to it, and it doesn't seem like you've had very I'm much not yet. stressed
1: at all yet. Uh, well, and right now we're in phonology, and I've already taken phonology, so it's not too bad.
0: Yeah, I kind of already have a grasp on yeah, it. Yeah,
1: but I've not ever taken a morphology class. Like, so that'll be really interesting when we get to that. Yeah. So you know, like, some of those topics I haven't ever really dove into. What is morphology? Um, I'm trying to think of, like, a concise way to say it. Minimal segments and how they go together. So you have morphemes. Uh, so like the word cat is one morpheme. But that's a minimal unit of meaning. Right. Now, if I were to say...
0: The cat jumped or something. Yeah,
1: so jumped. I think that's a really good example because you have jump and then you have ed. Mm. So those are both each minimal units of meaning. Mm. The ed is past tense. So they, um, when I say morpheme, it doesn't just have to be a word. But, like, S, if you say dogs, then those are two morphemes. You have mm-hmm. dog plus S.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: that S gives you the meaning of plural.
0: So it's a, a little bit more of a equation-based approach.
1: Well, think, I like to think of it as, like, building blocks. Because you start with... Well, okay, I mean, if you start at the very basics, you have phonetics, which is sound. Then you have phonology, how these sounds interact. So you were tiny little blocks... Then you go up to morphology and morphemes, and it's how those sounds now make meaning. So you have minimal meaning, minimal pair or like minimal segments of meaning. Then you go up to semantics and then how those meanings, how those morphemes now make words with meaning. Then you go up to syntax and how all of those blocks of meaning now go together to make sentences. Mm -hmm. Then you have then pragmatics on top of that, which is like how do these sentences and phrases now create functional meaning
0: it's turtles all the way down
1: so yeah it's like you start at the tiniest segment of language which is sound and just keep going up and up and up until you reach conversation level Mm. so yeah morphology is minimal units of meaning it's studying meaning Mm.
0: does that make sense okay yeah yeah it makes sense makes sense uh, A little breakdown. A little in breakdown. In was curious. So, uh, also, the, the Emmett is in pre-K right now. He is in pre-K. And he's killing it. Mm-hmm. He's loving it. Writing his name. And he's on green most days, which is the exact opposite of me. Whenever I was uh, that age or around those ages, I, I typically... If it's like green, yellow, and red, I stayed between red and yellow. But So he's he's doing good. He's being a good kid. And then Callahan is just... Callahan. He's just Callahan. He's so, been sick. He's been sick. He's always sick. He's always sick. He's a little, little maniac. So um we've been coming up with a master plan.
1: Ooh, to I've take been, over the world. I've been
0: calling it the master plan. But uh really all it is is a donkey goat run.
1: Yeah, I don't know why you call it the master plan. I kind of like that. I it's just... Our next project for this farmhouse, we want to have goats and donkeys. Yeah,
0: and so that it it's gonna entail me clearing. Uh, quite a bit of and then adding a the goat fence, and then adding a goat fence. So that's gonna be fun. Keep a lookout for that. Uh, we're we're in the process of starting kind of a farm Instagram. We're still kicking around different names, different ideas. We've, so
1: if anybody has a good suggestion for a name, something kind of clever.
0: We've got so far, we, we've kicked around the idea of uh, the Curely Coop.
1: The Curely Coop, The Curly yeah.
0: Coop. And then like a more general, like this Texas farmhouse.
1: From a fish song.
0: Well, this is a farmhouse, was a, is a fish song, my favorite fish song. And so we were kind of adapting it because that name is is taken. So, Somebody
1: anyway. Somebody else must like fish.
0: Yeah, yeah, who would have <laughs> guessed? But, <laughs> so just uh, kick around uh, if you have an idea or, or something pops in your head, something witty or clever, just shoot, a, shoot us a message. Um, let's see. So life will always have challenges. You can either invite the challenge in or one can be thrust upon you. I was just... I don't know. I had that little thought in my head, so... Cool. I wanted to say it. <laughs> um, enjoy this episode. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram. at I'm uh, at Panhandle Primate. Shannon is at... at
1: Sh- Shan, Curly with two N's.
0: With two N's. Uh, I'm trying to get a little bit more active on Twitter. So, if you are on Twitter and you don't currently follow me, and you would care to, that'd be kind of cool. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, check it out. And, uh... Hopefully you enjoy this episode. Thank you.
1: Goodbye. What gives you the right?
2: Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury.
0: This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Let's see
2: it. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? Don't start melting, lady, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got.
0: Are y'all ready to roll? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the first, the inaugural uh, rollout of the D program book club. Here with Brad Van Valkenburg. Do you want to say like a little bit of, like what your background is? I didn't just ask a random person on the podcast. Oh,
2: I didn't. Know it was only because you It was only
0: because you, cr- book- you were credentialed. Do oh. what?
2: D program book club. I didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna to try to like start having.
2: What are we deprogramming? That's a scary word.
0: Well, that's like the name of the podcast.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Did I not tell you that?
2: <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well,
0: it was like the Dexter program, uh-huh. but I shortened it to the D program, kind of like pun.
2: Oh, okay. You not know? like not the verb deprogram, but kind of,
0: kind of. Okay. We're like deprogramming <laughs> societal norms, uh-huh. or like maybe not deprogramming, but challenging to the uh-huh. point where like then the individual can then deprogram it for themselves. Yeah. It's okay. kind of like a re—not really reprogramming. We're not in the business of reindoctrinating; mm-hmm. just unindoctrinating. It's kind of deconstructing. Deconstructing. There's a lot of D, mm-hmm. you know, D
2: words that we're going with. So <laughs> yeah. like the D program. So, yeah. But okay. So yeah, my background. I was uh, an English teacher for a bit. Uh, started at uh, Boys Ranch to get my foot in, and went to AISD at Tesco. So taught English and history and economics and government and that's it i'd went to ou got a degree in political science and history before that and then uh decided to use the degree
0: what was there a specific grade you were teaching or just general
2: uh i taught from freshmen to seniors to seniors yeah
0: so just kind of to roll the dice as to who you were dealing with mm-hmm. pretty much yeah what was your favorite level uh
2: was pre-ap freshman Oh. Yeah, they're new to high school, scared and nervous, wanna do a good job. Parents care a lot. They're in pre AP and there are a lot of good conversations and discussions and nice with that grade. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would I, I actually I didn't know which, which direction that would go, you know? Like if it would have been senior, like checked out.
2: They're checked out by that <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, like my niece, she's grad. she graduated this year, is heading off to college. Checked out. Of course this is in the middle of COVID. Right. Their whole time was jacked up anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a hard, hard situation to be in.
0: And uh, Shannon, do you want to... Have you ever actually talked about your credentials? I don't know. Okay, go just go through your, like, what what qualifies you to be here?
1: Uh, Well, I have a degree in English that I got from WT, and then I'm currently working on my master's in linguistics, but it's still through the English department. So I'm... Getting my master's in English with a specialization in linguistics.
0: All right. And uh, me, of course, I I don't have any credentials to be here. You're a thinker. Other than having the podcast, I guess I host the podcast. And I've always enjoyed reading books and analyzing books. And I think I was was the pre-AP English kid in ninth grade. It was the only thing they let me be uh, AP in. Mm -hmm. Everything else, they were like, come on, Dexter, let's not push it. So, but, uh, I talked them into, I talked them into letting me be in those classes. So
2: really, mm -hmm.
0: yeah, I had to actually, I actually had to go and talk them into letting me be in it That's cool because, uh, the other class I realized really quickly, like the regular English class, uh, they were still learning to read. So it wasn't even like a level of, uh, like there was no, there was no critical, there was no reading a book. Like it was still just like the the conversation wasn't started yet. Mm -hmm. It was still trying to get to the point where you could have... And I I don't mean reading, like learning to read as in uh, going letter by letter. You know, it was more...
1: Learning to critically read.
0: Right. They were still trying to get to the point where they could then have the conversations. Uh, They, you know, just getting beyond the surface. Oh, yeah. And so... It was extremely uh, frustrating for me to be in those classes because I, I got lucky with an eighth grade English teacher who expanded our horizons uh, very rapidly. He, like, we had to read, like, My Antonia and Grapes of Wrath. And um, I'm trying to remember, uh, we read a bunch of books in that class. I'm kind of going blank on it at the moment, but very critical. Like, he, we had to write a 500 word paper every week on the chapter and he'd ha- give us prompts and that's rigorous yeah it was very step rigorous and so I went from that to going to high school and being in regular English and so I I pushed to get into AP English and really enjoyed my my AP English uh, classes most of the time it it actually seemed like a step down from that eighth grade teacher because he was so intensive about it you What know? school was that at that well it was all in north carolina north carolina so it was uh, paisley middle school it was a uh, international baccalaureate program so and he was a retired college professor who married there cuz he he married like a woman like 20 years younger than him and she was a college professor at wake forest and so he was just kind of bored so he started teaching english at like a i think it was like 80% uh like poor black probably poor Mexican and then maybe 3% like kids like me that parents were just getting them to a different school. And then all the rest, like I guess 7% was like rich white that were getting shipped in for the international baccalaureate program. Hmm. So it was a super interesting mix of Mm -hmm. kids. And then him interjecting into that was really interesting. A lot of, a lot of fun, you know, there was very interesting conversations And he would really challenge the kids. And what was really interesting is to see the stratification of intelligence. So kids that you would think weren't smart or didn't have a lot of potential uh, just by surface, you know, attitude Mm -hmm. almost. Once they got in that class and they really felt like, I, I hate using some of these terms, but like listened to like he actually was like expecting them to have a thought. He was challenging them to have a thought. And most of them rose to that occasion or some of them, I should say, you know, kids that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, really fun. He, he was really challenging and had really high expectations. Uh, and the expectations were irregardless of your social, economic, you know, racial, whatever. You know, so it was Mm kind of cool, a truly, you know, I think a lot of people want equality, but it's not very often achieved. Mm -hmm. And I think he truly
2: was, um, he approached it in an equal way. So how did the kids on the lower rungs of the economic ladder get admission to that program? So it was actually in that, they picked that school. So they were, they were
0: all, um, just neighborhood kids. Basically. Hmm. And it was, it was really cool, and uh, it was fun, you know. like So I was like the skater white kid that came in in eighth grade, you know. And most of them uh, were, you know, more hip-hop, you know, a little thuggy. I'm pretty sure that there was, like, some gang stuff, even though it wasn't ever explicit, never felt danger. I always liked all the kids, had a blast with everybody, you know. Yeah. So it was a really fun... It was a really fun environment to be in. Uh, in hindsight, you know, yeah, I never, even in even in moment, you know,
2: I never, you never told me that or your connection that you were in North Carolina.
0: Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's funny because a lot of the guys on the fire, I, I should mention that Brad's on the fire department with me, and it's funny because I've been there for so long now that I just assume I've probably told somebody something at some point in time. Yeah. You know, through through the how it comes up or whatever you know your
2: your your period of growth and maturation occurred on the fire department yeah you were raised in the fire
0: department yeah i got on when i was 20 so yeah and and it's it's so it's it's very odd to uh to to reflect back on Mm -hmm. but that's probably for another podcast um but okay so we're here to discuss uh fight club uh, let's just go around the room first and say uh, what was your initial um, introduction to Fight Club, whether it was the movie or the book, and then uh, maybe just like a quick, um, what was surprised What surprised you about this reading? Okay, it. we'll start with Brad.
2: So mine was in uh, I guess middle school, and at the movies. Or a DVD, probably, because the the initial release was not good. Like, a lot of people didn't see it in the theaters. It was a DVD when it came out. Uh. So I guess it was probably in somebody's house that had a DVD collection. We watched it. Uh. And it was all about the fighting and the violence. The consumerism was not really focused on, uh, because we were dumb middle school, high school kids. And uh, this reading, with access to the Internet and being able to, like, Where is this in pop culture now? And it is in a weird place. It's like uh, groups of men have bit onto this book and held it up as like something to aspire Mm. to—the Tyler Durden character—and it's kind of there's it's in some gross places out there. Oh, really? Yeah, like uh, there's uh, groups of guys that are members. uh, They call themselves. I don't know. They're like pickup artists. Oh. Yeah. Or they're they're men's rights activists. Hmm. They feel oppressed. And they're seeking victimhood like a lot of other people are these hmm.
0: days. Interesting. It's,
2: it's weird, yeah.
0: That's weird. I wouldn't have made that... I wouldn't have <coughs> taken the Tyler Durden character and attached it to victimhood. I would almost... Uh, well, why was have... he
2: doing what he was doing? Because he was a victim... They, they were... They saw themselves as victims of this consumer society that has Mm -hmm. been preyed upon by right capitalist pigs or whatever. Right, right, right. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: So, is that? Would you say that that's what surprised you? Is where
2: where it is today in pop culture? Okay. Yeah, it was a fun exercise. Like I hadn't done this in a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of what part of why we're wanting to start up Mm -hmm. uh, the book club is is kind of make it to where it's. Uh, a little bit more engaging for the listener, or participatory, you know, it's like, hey, read this book and then engage, you know, a little bit. So Shannon,
1: I think mine was kind of similar because I was in middle school and my brothers had watched it. So I kind of got like a secondhand viewing of it without really understanding what I was watching or knowing or caring at that point. But I already knew like the plot twist. I already knew things just from hearing them talk about it. But I think similarly, the violence and like how cool that was, was focused on. Mm. My brothers were in like middle school also at the time. Maybe Glenn was high school. But they thought it was cool. And then I think that's what I've always associated with it was that people want to be like Tyler Durden he is cool and he is the pedestal of a man. You know what I mean?
2: The
0: um, the idealistic, like the idealized man. Maybe. Yeah. Or like idealized modern man, right? Yes.
1: And so it wasn't until, when did we read this together? It was a couple of years ago.
0: I don't know. I mean, it's the, I've had that book since my junior year of high school. So. Yeah.
1: Then I don't, it was when I, the first time I read the book was several years ago. And that's when I thought, I'm like, oh, this is kind of an odd character for people to be idealizing.
0: <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, the the difference between the character in the movie and the character in the book. I do think yeah. that there are some like Brad the the image that Brad Pitt brings to the character changes the character. What?
1: In in like a the most perfect way possible. Oh yeah,
0: no, perfect. Okay. Yeah, it's it's the Completion of the persona.
1: Yeah. Like, who else could play this character other than Brad Pitt? Oh, I don't, it's like think, a I don't think anybody could have. Perfect casting. Yeah. Because he's the idealized man, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think I always had thought, or my perception of it was that the fight club is cool and what men want to be a part of. And then as I read it on my own, it's kind of interesting. I was like, hey, this seems... This seems like they're doing the exact same thing that they didn't like in the first place. but Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, my... Well, th- what do you mean they're, they're doing the exact same thing they didn't like in the first
1: place? That they seem to be upset that society <laughs> stripped away identity, masculinity, all these things, and then they step into a new formed She's society. speaking more specifically of
0: Project Mayhem. Right? Yeah, Project yeah.
1: Mayhem then becomes this new place where they are blindly... Listening to a leader, exactly. being stripped of their identity, yeah. and all yeah. of that.
2: Yeah, that's what guys that idolize this book don't look at. That it's all yeah. the ravings of a madman. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, we're about we're going to get into that, I think, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my my initial uh, interaction with it was the movie, and I want to say I was in high school, and it was me and one of my best friends, Jack we watched and i don't know i don't know if it was brad pitt but we watched fight club or snatch every single <laughs> weekend um, it was, I don't know why <laughs> it
2: was like one of,
1: did you have like a subconscious idealization of Brad Pitt? It might've been,
0: I don't know what it was. I that
1: mean, society I, society has placed yeah. upon he was it, on I mean. all the
2: magazines in the aisles at the grocery stores and you just had, that.
0: well, but see, I don't know if it was, I, I think it might've been that, but he also in both movies plays like a kind of a anti, uh, cultural character. Mm-hmm. You know, like, both of them, he's on the fringes. He's living this marginalized life of thrift store clothing and, you know, a rickety old house that's falling down and should be condemned. Mm -hmm. In Snatch, he's living in a trailer, you know? It's not, like, in either position. He's, like, in a position of power, per se. But that is the power. I think might have been part of, like... Personally, you know, I was... um, I don't know if like what class i was in you know but it, it definitely was probably like middle lower middle class ish you know like i i didn't necessarily derive any sort of my material um, none of none of my value was derived through material things I didn't have the things, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have the money or anything. Whereas like my friend Jack was pretty well off. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, dichotomy. I mean, we're watching it in his like extra house basically, <laughs> you know, above the garage. But, um, we watched that and, but we were also both on the wrestling team together. So it was kind of interesting cause we were kind of in a fight club, you know, it was, uh, in the basement of a school that's over 100 years old the furnace is in the corner
2: it's like your pump up movie Watch yeah, it before you go wrestle yeah it kind of was
0: <laughs> it kind of was it was we or after we wrestled right we we do practice friday night or um, we would have a tournament on saturday and so we usually were watching it in the in the after mm-hmm. of of actually engaging in violence, I mean, yeah. uh, wrestling in a lot of ways, granted, once you get into a mode and you're w- drilling with partners and you're practicing in the room, it, it doesn't necessarily feel as violent. But that's kind of the whole goal is the violence. And I think both of us were really in that mindset at the time of, uh, and I, I think most wrestlers probably get to feeling like this, where we're doing harder stuff than anybody else in the school, you know? we're experiencing more pain in practice, we're cutting weight, we're sweating, practices are hard. You know, guys from football would come in because football is good for, or wrestling is good for football, and they would all drop. You know, it was like um, almost like a filtering mechanism. And so, you know, by mid-season, everybody who's in there, uh, it sucks as much for each person but we're all like hey this is what we're doing we're kind of dedicated to the art so to speak and i i think that there was a little bit um of overlap just in the physical just dude fighting masculinity that aspect so i do get that and you know that being part of both of y'all's first experiences is just but what was crazy is we were actually engaged with the philosophy of the movie at the same time you know uh tyler durden's rants of you know you're not your khakis you know you're you're the you're you're the trash of an industrial society right you're you're the discarded children of society and i think we were uh whether that was true or not we were really engaged with that concept and really Mm -hmm. liked it you know and then in um, later, then I moved to Texas. That was all in North Carolina. And then whenever I moved to Texas, one of the guys in my uh, huddle from my youth group um, at church, we were we would get together like once a week as a big group and talk about you know the Bible or whatever we were learning and kind of uh, engage with it on kind of a Both the high school youth group level, but also a little bit more trying to engage society. I mean, I was already turned on to some of this bigger stuff like that Fight Club introduces. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And through the conversation, one of the guys who helped with the group, a real cool dude uh, named Paul, who I think was kind of trying to pay his penance in a weird way. Like he had maybe gone away from the church and now he was trying to be like a good person. And so he was trying to, like, figure out how he could volunteer and engage and help, you know. And so he was in that group with us. And after one of our little sessions or whatever, we're all hanging out. And he walked up with that book and was like, hey, man, you need to read this book. I was like, oh, well, I've seen the movie. And he was like, but you need to read the book. And so that was my introduction to um, the book of Fight Club was probably junior year of high school. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, um, I am like you, Shannon, and I don't know to the extent, probably with you too. whereas I wish that I had have been my matured brain and read it without knowing the twists right. and the, you know, some of the subtleties, because it's like, would I have caught that?
1: I just love being surprised, and I hate that I did not get to experience that.
0: Because yeah. he writes it so beautifully, and it's obvious from the very beginning but it's like would I have caught that you know yeah
2: Um, well in his words he wrote the book in a way that it's enjoyable for people that don't like to read it's a book mm -hmm. for people who don't like to read he said really and it's kind of written that way you know choppy prose and things jump around
0: a bit that's what I was actually thinking is I would have thought the opposite yeah because I had actually recommended this
1: to a friend and I wasn't sure if she was going to enjoy it or not but she doesn't she doesn't do a lot of reading like this. Um, it's more summer thriller novels, Agatha Christie. Murder mysteries, just things like that. Um and she had a hard time getting into it because the writing style, she said, was just so different. Oh yeah. So it's kind of
0: Well see, and I was thinking specifically, um, uh, I can't remember which chapter it is. But it's when he's talking about uh, Tyler Durden being a projectionist, mm-hmm. and then he's also talking about his job at the same time, mm-hmm. and he's doing these like cuts. He's like
2: just like our just like watching TV, just like the way yes. we're exposed to things. Like we we zone out if something's droning on for too long, and so you got to um. see something shiny over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'm paying attention again. My attention span will only last for a couple of minutes. Okay, show me something shiny over here. Start talking about this. Right. Okay. That's kind of how he, well, you. Know, and, and
0: that does make sense. It did seem like you're flipping back and forth between channels. Yeah. Which I thought was uh, brilliant because he's talking about flipping in between channels. He's talking right. about one version of his life and another version of his life and yeah. how he like clips back and forth. Yeah. And so there was like little subtle things like that that I was like. It, one other thing, it really made me respect Chuck Palahniuk as a writer because it's like, man, he's he's doing it. Like, this is what everybody who wants to write wants to do is something where the prose is part of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, the way he's telling the story is giving depth to the characters and to the, the instance, you know? Yeah.
1: And I just... Oh. Anytime that text has multiple layers, it feels very Shakespearean. And I feel like he does a good job with that. Like when he's talking about the projectionist, or like Tyler Durden being projectionist, switching the reels, mm-hmm. which is discussing Tyler Durden and the narrator, which is discussing society, mm-hmm. which, you know what I mean? Like there's multiple, and then discussing the book itself. There You're switching between multiple scenes and multiple like perceptions yeah so there's a lot of different layers of a projection of switching reels mm-hmm. well
0: and also like uh i like that too because you're projecting into the world right so like he's kind of saying whenever i go to work i project into the world this fake version of myself whenever i go to a support group i project this fake version of myself into the world you know like the whole time he's basically saying i don't know who i am I'm just a projection of what society is shining through, you know, mm-hmm. which portion of me has to be projected at the moment. Yeah. So, um, well, cool. So that was, that's through the first part of it. Uh, I think there was, uh, I, I pulled out three main themes that I thought like stretched through the whole thing. Okay. And that was, uh, governance, uh, okay. the off- our authenticity, the authentic self, and religion. Religion, huh?
2: Mm-hmm. So As far as like you choose your object of religion.
0: So yeah, we can actually not jump, necessarily organized religion. We can jump into that uh, first
2: because
1: but somewhat organized religion.
2: I guess so, yeah. Well, so th- this not is, salvationist religion, I guess. So
0: this is at, well, there is, right? There's a huge portion of salvationist um, ideology within this whole thing, right? Because um, Tyler Durden is saving the is their God. Right. And Tyler Durden is saving all of these people by destroying them, by destroying their life, they are now having the opportunity to be saved. I see. Yeah. You know? Um that, that's one of the aspects. Um so I'll kind of jump in to what to some of the notes that I was writing around it. And at any point in time y'all can jump in and uh comment. But so spirituality and I was specifically thinking I did I say religion? Yeah. So religion, spirituality, kind of, I think more probably spirituality is what this section of the discussion will be about, but it's the search for purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that alienates most of our modern existence is where do you find your purpose? You know, do you find it in your hobbies? Do you find it in your family? Do you find it in your job? Do you find it in your material possessions? And that's kind of what I think. Uh, Fight Club specifically did such a good job with is it's just like it presents this narr- this lost individual. And I think what's part of what I think is interesting where you were talking about with with future culture is uh, the way I the way I took it was that the narrator the narrator knew he was a victim. Didn't like that he was being a victim and was searching for a way to empower himself, like embolden himself, and that was Tyler Durden, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. So it's kind of interesting that that people are taking a victimhood stance uh, towards Tyler Durden's character now. Did you have something to say?
1: Well, just one thing that I thought when I was reading the book that I don't think I caught the first time is the narrator talks about going to the doctor. And trying to get help, mm. so he does go to his doctor and says like I have insomnia, I need help. He's and like, the doctor I says off, I wake up. the doctor says nobody dies from not sleeping. Yeah. And wanna, so yeah. I do think it's interesting that he did try to get help, and our society rejected him, and basically said you're on your own, which just I think is a larger portrayal of how we treat people who do not fit into our cookie cutter societal norm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. He does try to reach out and get help, and he's and rejected that. I help. can't
0: remember is it in the book where the doctor tells him to go to Yeah, go hang
2: out with people with cancer. Yeah, is that in the, the book? Yes. Yeah. Okay, see, one of the hard
0: things about talking about
2: the book. Oh, it's all mixed up now. Yeah, yeah, I
0: have the the movie did such a brilliant job of directing and casting and and shooting the shots that I there's some of those scenes I can't get out of my yeah. head. So even yeah. whenever I'm thinking back on the book, which actually is one of my favorite parts about reading the book to uh, advocate reading the book is there are specific scenes in the book that are not in the movie. should have been in the movie. They should have been in the movie. Several of them. Uh, But I mean, I guess you gotta, you gotta cut corners when you're cutting corners. So Um, are we ready to, should I go back to the notes or? Yeah,
1: that's fine. I was just thinking about victimhood because it, it, he is someone who did try and when, then was denied, By the source that should have helped him. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So, um, destructive, subversive, and liberating. Um, I think that those are three things that are key to a good religion. So, whenever you're perceiving or uh, pursuing spirituality, I think that those are like three things that are um, prerequisites. And I think it's the reason that you have people that become such devotees of uh, religion is it it has to first destruct whatever it is that they're running from, right So a depression or pain or you know strife.
2: the religion has to destruct something in the individual that's adhering to the new their new religion so
0: it, it in order to become something new. You have to have what you were destroyed. Gotcha. You know, yeah. and then it has to be subversive. So there, there has to be something that changes your orientation, right? So, um, I was following this path, and uh, I was a sheep. And now, boom, something happened. It it was destroyed, and now I'm I'm on a new path. And then. It has to be liberating as well, right? It's not just like, okay, um, now I'm in prison, you know, or something like that's destructive to your life um, and put you on a new path. But it had to be liberating to where now I feel like I can live, Mm -hmm. you know. And Fight Club, um, Fight Club is the congregation of the religion and then Project Mayhem, the space monkeys become the priests in, in how I was visualizing it. What
1: I almost think that Project Mayhem becomes organized religion, which is interesting because they're seeking spirituality, but they end up just creating organized religion instead. Well,
0: see, I think I think Fight Club is the organized religion, right? They come in, the uh, price of entry is pretty low. All you have to do is show up and fight and follow these like few rules it's not you know like you're uh but you're also you are instantly respectful of whoever's reading the rules you're respecting whoever has looks like they belong there they they've been there a a long time um and i think that those would have been the space monkeys like those those guys are the ones that it's like okay i like this i'm having fun i'm being introduced to this but those are the guys that are this you know um so i thought that was kind of interesting that he kind of built uh and I, I don't know if he intentionally some some of one of the things i think is brilliant about like great literature and great artwork is that there are some things that um are just emergent not to say that he wasn't on that cognizant level but i think sometimes whenever you're building something out it just creates a parallel so i I don't necessarily know if he was trying to what
1: oh i think he was trying to and i think it's like a subverted church Mm -hmm. in the fact that like like you're saying the space monkeys similar to maybe elders in a church or whatever kind of religion you're looking at they had to like deny their their self they had to become something else for this greater good and then what I think is interesting is that in, like, a church following God, you tell everyone about God. That's the purpose, right? Like, mm-hmm. to. And then this one says. And this one is you do not don't say, say.
0: anything to anybody. You don't
1: tell anybody about this. Which
0: almost makes it more.
1: And I think that's, I have to think that's intentional. I don't think that's a random accident that he did it that way. That he makes Tyler a godlike figure, but nobody can talk about him. Right. Mm. You know?
0: Mm. Yeah, almost um, esoteric. Yeah, in in a sense, you know, and it is interesting too that uh, the narrator is literally making Xerox copies of like the doctrine, you know, like what Tyler Durden is telling him to write, and so it's not Tyler Durden isn't writing it; right?
1: he's breathing the words to somebody,
2: like the stones, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What the uh, the tablets?
1: Tablets, right,
0: yeah. right, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so I thought what was interesting is in the end of chapter one, there's a line and it says, where would Jesus be if no one had written the gospels? And that's, um, of course the, the story begins with the barrel of the gun in the narrator's mouth as Tyler Durden and him are having this engagement. And he says, you know, before Tyler started on this whole suicide, murder, suicide thing, you know? Um, so I do think that that's interesting. He he refers specifically to the Gospels, but Jesus he says, "Where would Jesus be if no one wrote the Gospels?" Insinuating that Jesus didn't write any of the Gospels. In this sense, Tyler Durden, uh, acting through the narrator, literally did write all of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of interesting. I, I thought that was a an interesting just parallel. Uh, or not parallel, maybe perpendicular uh, aspect of of the the religion and spirituality aspect of it. Um, so obsession with the future. Oh, obsession with the freedom of death. Uh-oh. Is
1: that you? <laughs>
0: I think so. All right, we're we're going. <laughs> I don't actually know where my phone is. Huh. My phone is linked to my computer. So whenever my. Yeah. Was
1: which I, don't even know. I
0: didn't ever do that. I don't. Even, I didn't say who it was. Okay. I'll call him back later. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's almost this uh, liberation of death. In Fight Club, it's embracing death, right? Being willing to die. Uh, they do the human sacrifices where they have to go and get the IDs and encourage the person to actually pursue their dream or they'll come back and kill them. Uh, they use death as like this motivating factor, and I. But think, then they call it a near life experience, right? Yeah. You just had a near life experience, a yeah. near life experience. <clears throat> yeah.
1: I do really like that. That is, I do too. Cool.
0: That and well, and even that scene in the movie with the car wreck, which in the in the book it's the mechanic, mm-hmm. which makes you wonder. It doesn't explicitly ever say it in the in the book, but it's like, is the narrator more than one character? You know. Like, is the narrator also the mechanic?
2: Mm.
0: And you know,
1: I don't like that as much.
0: It's just so it, one of the reasons that I actually started thinking about that is one because of the movie. The movie has Tyler Durden as the driver, yeah, and the book has the mechanic as the driver. So I was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe Chuck, because Chuck Palahniuk was involved pretty heavily in in writing the the movie. So I'm like, well, maybe, maybe Tyler, maybe he was like, well, we can't introduce all these different characters, yeah. So maybe we'll just stick Tyler into these positions, and specifically, the mechanic pops up the same way that Tyler Durden pops up, like specifically interacting in scenes where uh, where the narrator um, needs him to, kind of. So mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. that that might not have been anything, but yeah, I do love that line, the near life experience. <laughs> um, so. The support groups, uh, listening to people who are dying, they make the comment that's the only time that somebody's really listening to you is when they think you're about to die. Yes, it's the only valid uh, conversation, right? Yeah, and so that it is kind of interesting because I think that's what a lot of people get from from religion, specifically in our area. Speaking of church. They go to an area and this person is really listening to them, Uh you know, because they're trying to engage in this more intentional spirituality, which is a two-way street, right? The only way that a person who is a practitioner of the religion can truly show that they are a practitioner is by uh, exhibiting it to another person. So I, I did think that that was kind of an interesting... Um, You know, he, he built these, what was was crazy is like the ideal church um, encompasses all of these different things that the narrator was having to get from society, right? He's going to this uh, congregation of dying people to learn how to meditate, to learn how to focus on the moment, to learn how to, to be okay with dying. He's going to Fight Club for this community aspect. You know, he invents Project Mayhem to feel part of a group um through action. You know, it's it was just kind of um interesting. I I thought what was what was cool is that the narrator viewed meditation as embracing the moment. Um, whereas Tyler Durden was spoke about meditation as escaping the moment specifically with the the burning, the burning on the back of the hand. And so I thought that was kind of, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. Um, Whenever I was reading it, cause I was kind of like, man, it's, it's weird because in some ways it's almost like the narrator almost learns things like without, you know, we, we talk about the, the space monkeys and, all that structure and it's almost like you need a priest. You almost need uh, somebody who has ascended to that next level to like properly guide you to that next level. Mm-hmm. Well, he never had that next level person. So he was like being given all of these different tools of transcendence without actually being led to the transcendence. Like I, I think specifically, cause he talks about Buddhism uh, at a couple different parts. He talks mm-hmm. about, you know, well, one of the key factors to to Buddhism or uh, any of those uh, Eastern meditations is you have your master, right? The person that you submit to, and then they guide you before you start guiding other people. Well, he he skipped that step, you know. He he got this, and and you can tell by his cynicism towards masters, right? He's saying no, there is no boss, no no one has authority over you, you know. I thought that was super interesting in the fact that he then becomes it.
1: Well, but Mm -hmm. that's... So, going back to meditation and the support groups, he does, in a way, have a mentor through the support group leaders who are teaching him to meditate. But, in his projection of an idealized society in male, meditation is weak. So that's why Tyler Durden does not meditate, although he kind of does in like his little God moment in the hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But... In Fight Club and like Project Mayhem, you live in the moment. So the narrator views meditation as weak. The support groups are weak. They're not doing it correctly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think that has to come back to masculinity and like societal perceptions of masculinity. In that he was in these groups meditating and that was viewed as weak. So he had to create this world where he is no longer weak. So meditation isn't allowed.
2: Hmm.
1: So I think that has to do, with, in hmm. my opinion, societal perceptions of these things.
0: Well, and he he is in the moment, like whenever he's trying to teach him about human sacrifice and making soap, and he's burning his hand. He does say, "Don't deal with it the way all those dead people deal with it."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and but it's interesting because he's trying to get all of these people to die to their identity in mm-hmm. in space. You know, so there uh, there are definitely and I. I'm sure that it was maybe if I reread it again and again and again and really studied it, there would be more clear doctrine or doctrine to each character and what they actually believe. But it did to me seem like Tyler Durden's character was very sporadic. It was like kind of like he's like, no, this is good. No, this is bad. No, this is now it's bad, but it was good. But Mm -hmm. you know, he's like very just almost takes. And uses what he wants to use in the moment, you know? But, but, um, you got something to say? No. No? Okay. Um, I thought that the, another aspect of religion that it exhibited was the rituals, the reading of the rules. Uh, Fight Club is about freedom. Project Mayhem is about ascension. So once you're, once you're free of the, relying on society to give you your meaning. Now it's time to create your own meaning. And that's actually through destruction, through destroying civilization. um, So that an idealized civilization can then exist. I thought that was one of my favorite uh, parts of the movie and the book, it's in the book too, is when Tyler Durden, actually, I don't know if it's in the book, but the scene where after the car wreck with the mechanic, um, the narrator's laying on the bed and Tyler Durden's standing in the doorway. And he says, I envision a world where, you know, you wear leather clothes that last you your whole life. And um, you climb kudzu vines on the Sears Tower. You stalk elk through Rockefeller Center. Yeah, yeah. and you look down and you, you have rows of corn growing in the middle. You know, it's hunter-gatherer yeah, uh, exactly. existence. And so it's kind of interesting he's talking the idealized society is in the bones of this society. It's, it's almost a uh, regression as modern people would see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what?
1: I think going off of um, how you were, again, talking about religion and all of that, um, it's actually part of the scene with the mechanic when he talks about we have a spiritual depression, Mm-hmm. And then he says, we have to show these men and women freedom by enslaving them and show them courage by frightening them. Just, it is kind of an interesting thought. It's, it's
0: almost like you have to become the impetus for change. Or yeah. Like, uh, somebody doesn't, well, I, I feel this a whole lot with Emmett. He's scared to do something until he does it. And then yeah. he can do it over and over and over yeah, and yeah. over and over. And so you have to show him that there is light on the other side of being afraid. It's a
1: Yes, but then I also think like that line specifically made me think of The Handmaid's Tale because they have a very similar theme of freedom to and freedom from mm. of well I'm keeping you safe by enslaving you. Right. You're free because you're enslaved, but in that in that book and TV show it's a horror theme. Right. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's supposed to be like an enlightening theme.
0: Well, I think it's supposed you know? to be a little horrifying too. Yes, I mean, he, but he wrote they're it.
1: saying it as enlightening in that moment.
0: Right, right. Which well, and I that is one of the things I thought he did brilliantly is um, kind of truly creating an environment where you understand extremism. You know, you you see the you see these guys going through the process of becoming extreme. Uh and almost understanding it, almost sympathizing with it. I think that's one of the things that the movie did great is like, you're watching it the whole time and at least every, probably maybe every male, definitely every young male views themselves as like, I want to go to fight club. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, even though it's like nobody really wants to have the shit beat out of them, you know, or, um, one of the things I think is interesting is the the narrator at the end of the book has a smile that goes ear to ear because his cheeks have just been obliterated. You know, he has this jack, this uh, jack o' lantern smile, um, and his eyes are blacked out and his face is disformed, and he has molded himself into something different. Mm -hmm. And it's such a uh, contrary – it's so contrary to how we use – we being the modern person uses transformation. It's to become beautiful. It's to become what society tells you is beautiful, right? We use plastic surgery. We use consumerism. We use materials. We use all these things to become what society says is beautiful, And in this, he's saying, "No, what's beautiful is being like a pounded up bag of putty, you Mm -hmm. know, like to be molded into this like horrific creature that society is actually um, repulsed by. That's the ideal. That's
2: the the goal of the of the matter. You know, I took it like as a cautionary tale, like and almost." divorced from the religion aspect of it like that end result was, uh, largely by anybody reading the book undesirable, but perhaps what they were fighting against was appropriate. They should, uh, rise up against this consumerist, uh, emasculated society, maybe, but that their means of doing it were in the end from the imagination of a crazy person, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, uh, yeah, I never, I didn't look too deeply into the religion part of this. Yeah. Like this part you're talking about, the rejuvenation, and, and I was thinking of like, uh, like the Bolshevik Revolution, almost, the iconoclasm where they would try to get rid of religion. They would chase down preachers, uh, monks, with, uh, and, and start yelling Pythagorean's theorem at them because math is without God, and they would tear down statues and, and uh, erase history, in order to rebuild this new great society, which where the Bolshevik revolution ended up, you know, like mm. Animal Farm. Right. They became right. the things they hated that they were yeah. fighting against. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I see that.
2: Yeah, and seeing like that's I think that's
0: uh part, you know, the other uh, one of the other themes is governance. So I do think that yeah. there I do think that there was I think he was attacking several different aspects. Oh yeah. And um and the you know, nothing I think that's why religion inherently becomes so intertangled with society and so intertangled with um, the ruling class. And uh, it it's because it's, you know, even the Bolsheviks, they they were like, no, uh, religion is bad, even though they were creating a religion. They literally were like creating all these ideological check marks that a religion has to have in mm-hmm. order to function. You know, it's, it's all about uh, subverting the individual, you know, once it becomes, uh, a structure, like, well, that's why I think it's so interesting is like, to me, one of the cool tones of Christianity that exists, um, outside of religion, if you're just looking at the book, there is this large anti-group mentality. You know, even the line, um, wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation. You know, it, it's saying you're going to be alone. You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be excluded because of your beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's not a inclusive thing. It's not like, Hey, buy into this and, and you'll be one of the boys, you know, it's saying buy into this and you'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. You'll be this, you know, it's subversive, um, but now, granted, that is in the text. Now, the pro like the application in most of the Western world is actually the contrary. If you say that you don't buy into it, you're you're excluded, or you know. So it it's kind of interesting.
1: So I was thinking about something as you were talking about, like you were talking about with the Bolsheviks. Kind of creating religion by wanting to abolish religion. And how it's like you can create this checklist of like, well, religion is supposed to be these things. And this is what we're trying to do away with. Mm -hmm. So then I was trying to think about that in connection to Baudrillard and Simulacrum. And so, have you ever read Baudrillard? Okay. So he's a theorist who talks about simulation and simulacrum. So basically, the copy of a copy. While the original copy is destroyed. So all that's left is the copy of the copy. And so it becomes the original because the original is destroyed. So he talks about how most of this is based off of symbols and symbolism and like what we perceive as things to be. So if religion becomes just a list of check marks... And then somebody can now identify a religion based off of the checklist. It becomes kind of a copy of this copy. Mm-hmm. And the original religion is actually dead. As long as people have the checklist, that's religion now. Well,
0: seeing that, I think that's that.
1: So Which I think is what we see in here, right, too. Right.
0: It's a guy who is not religious, right? So he doesn't actually understand what religion is, but he creates one. So instead of. But what's of, creating one? But that's what I was going to say is he's. What he's doing is he's reenacting what he imagines religion to be,
1: and that at this point, that's all that matters. Which
0: is a critique of religion, right? Yeah. So, all he is, all he is getting from it is the control of the person, the submissiveness of the person. He's getting all of these. It's like a, it's the student without a master, right? He's he's learning all of these things of how to manipulate a student without learning any of the techniques of taking a student to a master.
1: one I think even us reading it, as we read it and we say, okay, well, Tyler Durden is God because he's promising things to people and they have to sacrifice their own identity to follow him. And then in the end, he wants to die for the better good. But see, So I don't is think... that all there is to religion if we are looking at that template and seeing religion? Right. Does that right, make sense? Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's... You got anything to say about that?
2: Uh, him dying for the greater good. I, the movie kind of mixed me up in that. Because he, some people could say that he died in the book. Like he achieved a nirvana or, mm. or that he's a Christ-like figure.
1: Which exactly was Christ his goal. Like correct. he mentions it somewhere explicitly that like, he <laughs> has to die in order yeah. to achieve that. Yeah. So just it's interesting that that was his goal all along. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in the movie he explicitly lives. Right. In the book, I think he lives as well. He's just in an institution, is how I you know. I think that's how it's supposed you know. It's how I read it was that he that he was like oh I'm dead thank God I'm dead this is just the afterlife Mm -hmm. but then you have these like you know we're solid sir you know we're still operating out out there you know all that and so it's kind of like. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't exactly know, you know. I do like the ambigu- ambiguity of, yeah. of the end. But yeah. uh, supposedly Chuck Palahniuk's writing Fight Book 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got in some financial problems. Uh, <laughs> like, really? Isn't
1: that so, like, ironic, though? That's, like, he mm-hmm. needs money, so he's writing Fight Club, which is almost anti-capitalism. Right. Capitalism. It's just like them making soap.
2: You know, yes. Kind of hypocritical. Yeah. Right, kind right. However, them, them using something that rich people pay money to get rid of their fat and then selling it back to them. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Which
1: is that what he's doing? Yeah.
0: I love that line where he's like, we're selling rich people, their own fat
2: asses back to them. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that's a amazing line. Um now. All right. So it's a uh, Palinak is how you pronounce his, I think so. name. Okay. Palinac, okay. Yeah. His, his background. All I know of it was that he was a, he worked in a, uh, like an, uh, a factory, an auto factory, making cars, mm. right? So I don't he's know. Like, I d- if and I, I, think that's the case. He worked in a factory. I don't remember mm-hmm. what company, but he's like steeped in this bourgeoisie versus proletariat, the worker versus the, the, the Metal Ivory world. towers, you know, yeah. People that control the means of labor, the means of production, and that's so that knowing that about, I read the book in that through that lens, mm-hmm. yeah almost like a, a Marxist interpretation the whole time. How does this connect to American history? How does this connect to different mm. Which I different think revolutions? makes sense.
1: Like I think that's a good lens to read it through. Oh, yeah, okay. definitely. And, so,
2: and, and I was myopic, uh, tunnel vision, so I, the religion aspect kind of escaped me. Mm. I feel silly now sitting and talking about it, that <laughs> I didn't really consider it that much. I mean, I saw the, the allusions to religion, but didn't take them as a big part of the book really. Right, right. You know, I was thinking more of organization, this is not a religion, yeah. it's an organization. Mm. It's a committee, it's a group of people just like a government or something.
0: Right. Yeah. You know? Well, and then so to wrap wrap this up real quick. Um I've got a couple more notes, but this was a thought I had, I guess last night. Um and I was just going to like run it by y'all see what y'all thought, but so I think Tyler Durden is the shaman character in this and in hunter gatherer tribes the shaman was the weirdo so like literally that's what you did with the weird kid right you have a kid that's just like all right he doesn't really fit in right <laughs> it's like send give him to the shaman you know and the shaman would be like hey you know so the schizophrenics the bipolar the the actually chemically you know diagnosable crazy person mm-hmm. right Instead of sending them to a shrink who is a sane person trying to deal with an insane person, you take them and you give them to the insane person. And you say, hey, just make this person our holy man, right? Make this person a otherworldly being. And then they, you know, would become a shaman. I don't know if Chuck Palahniuk had knew that or had researched it prior to writing this book, but um, in many ways the shaman uses these, he uses pain, denial, and, uh, you know, psychedelic experiences to transcend the societal uh, landscape. And also I think what's interesting is a lot of uh, shamanistic societies or shamanistic religions also have these rites of passage Mm -hmm. that males, specifically males. I think, Women, uh probably for obvious reasons of childbirth, um, that kind of is a uh, rite of passage uh, that I'm sure that women have dealt with through all of time, but men never really had that. You know, they didn't have this, like, now you are something different. Right. And so they created, like, uh, you know, peyote experiences in the Native Americans, also... Uh, fasting rituals and all these different ways uh, of forging a new person. Um,
1: women did also have certain ritualistic experiences too. Like in certain African tribes, they had female mutil- oh, mutil- yeah. mutilation, right? Where they would like scar their faces, right? Because being pretty is sinful or uh tempting, you know. So it's right. like they would scar, and that was like a a rite of passage for them as they entered into womanhood. Which probably then
0: became beautiful, right?
1: It became a side of community.
0: Having the right scars was probably like then uh, attractive in that group. You know, yeah, also thinking of like, but see, that's what's interesting is a lot of women, like, rites of passage, quote unquote, it's like, the the neck rings neck rings the, mm-hmm. the elongation of the the lip. lip yeah uh, in China it was the binding of the feet, feet yeah right it like it was actually like more of like a mutilation yeah versus with the specific rituals I'm talking about it was although there was mutilation like I think in the in similar tribes they had the the scars all over the the men's bodies and it was you know as you get older, you get more scars. Uh, but um, I, I think of it more, it was more of a spiritual ascension
1: yeah, than a sense. physical mutilation.
0: Yeah. Um, and Tyler Durden's character was kind of this shamanistic uh, individual, right? Who's most of it, what, what was cool is I like the scenes in the book where the space monkeys are interpreting the text. There's the scene with the mechanic where he's interpreting the text. He's saying, well, it says this. Mm-hmm. Well, the text says this, you know. Um, the Bob's, when Bob gets shot, and he says, well, you know, in Project Mayhem, nobody has a name. But once you die, you achieve a name. And his name was, you know, Robert Paulson. You know, so you have these um, these next level um indoctrination things that are labeled labeled on top. And that's kind of like a shaman's role. It's not to tell you what to think it's to inspire you to become your own person. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, the whole hunter gatherer thing that he's aspiring to this, um, different way of existing, um, pre-modernity, you know, uh, Type lifestyle of uh, nomadic, you know your your only materials that you're focused on or what you intensely need at the moment. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Just to wrap up the spiritual conversation aspect or the religious aspect is, I do think, especially in the West, sometimes we get so narrow minded and so focused on what religion is as one of the top three. It's either um, Christianity, Judaism or uh, Islam. Those are the only three that exist. And it's like, well, there's a few other, you know, Eastern, there's Buddhism and Hinduism. But outside of that, there's nothing, you know? And it kind of discounts this large amount of human interaction that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and religious understanding that predated religion. So it's a spirituality that predated religion. And so almost like you were speaking of the copy of the copy, you know? It's like the the original copy was probably Western religion. And then the copy of the copy is whatever we have today, you know?
1: Which I think is interesting because he specifically mentions that in the book. But he's talking about insomnia. He says this is how it is with insomnia. Everything is so far away, a copy of a coffee of a coffee. A coffee. Oh. Thing of coffee. Yeah. Copy. <laughs> a copy of a copy of a copy. Um, the insomnia, distance of everything—you can't touch anything, and nothing can touch you. So I think it's interesting that he like explicitly mentions that, yeah. but it's clouded with insomnia, which goes through the entire book. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. mi- reminds me of *A uh, Midsummer Night Dream* by Shakespeare, where everything is like clouded in the dream world, but that separates it from the real world. Mm. But you don't always know what the difference is. Yeah, like a great little literary tool. Mm-hmm. Like you know, insomnia is used. To represent this copy of a copy. That's all. I don't know.
2: Affirmation through victimization. I think that's a a very common thing today. We see, especially on YouTube. You know, people get on there and they they are addicted to outrage, because and it's an easy way to get affirmation. I don't have to do anything. I just have to say, hey, look what's being done to me. Give oh me yeah. Some affirmation.
0: Well, that's definitely a result of like social media posts is like somebody can be like, no, I'm fighting inequality by like putting all these posts out about uh, or like reposting something Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it was super funny, like during the whole – like whenever the Black Lives Matter movement really blew up, um, the amount of like white females – that I follow on Instagram that instantly like their feed just blew up with all of this stuff. And it was like, it's not new information. It might be new to you, you know, but their entire feed blew up with like all of this, like woke shit, which woke in not the derogatory sense, like actual, like, you know, um, it's one of the great tragedies of modern language that woke got taken from, who it originally belonged to, which was oppressed black people. communities, you know, it was, and people that actually were dealing with like, you know, no, like this stuff is happening. This is how it's happening. And, and they were cognizant enough to be able to, to change, you know, the, the whole goal with the woke movement, I feel like in the, in the beginning was to change the dynamic, not necessarily be a victim of the dynamic, but it was actually to engage and change it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say, babe?
1: I mean, I have lots to say, but if you're, I'll let you finish. No, go that.
2: ahead. I'm, I'm done.
1: <sighs> Where do I want to start? Because I just have lots of things that I'm thinking
2: about what I just said. Yeah. I saw your, I saw your. Yes. Not, not in a bad. I mean, it's going. just thoughts. Uh, yeah. I'll take a little more
1: coffee. Are you filling up coffees? Yeah. Okay. I only need like half a cup. Do you. Want Thank us you. Want to yes. Okay. Are we? Do you want us to keep going? Yeah,
0: keep going. I can go right
1: hear. Okay. Okay. In this, I think. Is a product of the book, but also just a thought that I have continuously, anyways, because like the book talks about consumerism and advertisement. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, we need to step out of that. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be, it needs to be both parties. Like there needs to be consumer responsibility, but should these companies not also be held accountable for what they are preaching to people? Mm-hmm. And so if someone has grown up without exposure to, Anything or anyone who has made them think these things, then are they wrong to blindly believe the advertisement?
2: Yeah. So, would you have a government do that or a parent do it?
1: I don't know. I who, think who, it has who is to be. Who's the
2: onus able... on? You know, that's the thing. Like, what? Who do you give the power to do such a thing, and where can that lead? They're
1: already giving the power to do. I mean, like, the government is already giving these companies the power to do these things.
2: Yes. So yeah. it's well, all the power is already the being f- given. See, this is an issue too. They're giving them f- the freedom to do it. <laughs> so then, what's freedom? Exactly. If that's Because f- then, whose there's freedom ins- are we talking about? Yeah. My Freedom to my freedom to build this factory on the river takes away your freedom to fish out of it and and have a means of living. Yeah. Know? So, what I mean is, okay, we need to control what our children are exposed to day to day, by corporations, and who needs to to to. Uh, govern that does the government need to tell companies do not expose our children to this anymore or should it be a parent's job to say
1: what if both of the parents are working two jobs and aren't home most of the day so then the kid goes to school to then after school program and then they're home alone yeah so when is the parent supposed to do that because they're working within the society that they're supposed to be in like they're doing what they're supposed to do to make money to live within the society
0: well see and I think this this is where I would jump in and say Granted, I agree with you. Uh, we've actually had uh, this conversation multiple times. But I do agree with you 100% that the United States, uh, the current um, prosperity that we're experiencing that largely came from capitalism, in a sense, uh, this is there are some uh, arguable uh, aspects of this. Like, for instance, computers were completely funded by the government. To be created. So mm-hmm. it wasn't um the a lot of the technologies that we are experiencing today were not free enterprise. They were actually tax funded in order to create the technology. And then once the technology is created, then a private entity takes that technology. It, yeah. Well, maybe not even improves upon it, but just
1: capitalizes c- on yeah, it. Yeah,
0: commodifies it. You know? And um uh, I think I'm trying to think of the the university bell um, bell telephone maybe there was a couple of big labs and they were almost 100% government funded uh, and and they created a lot of the technologies that we have today and so it's kind of hard but I think uh, one of the one of the issues and I think uh, to kind of bring it back to fight club a little bit I guess I I think fight club kind of touches on it a little bit is that there is no one system that can be applied in every single facet of our lives so while the free market does do really well in some aspects like I'm married to Shannon now right so if I were to apply the free market to our relationship And say, well, really, it's just whatever is going to be the best product that I want. You know, there are some days when Shannon isn't the best product. She's not. (laughs) Not She's not. You're going. Well, I'm just saying, I'm saying you can't apply free market capitalism to relationships. No, of course not. You know, you can't apply free market capitalism. But I think the problem with um, like our current state and what I think Tyler Durden or the narrator is rebelling against is the over-commodification of every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so Fight Club is free, right? They seek outside sponsorship. Uh, Up until very near the end, the narrator is still going to his nine-to-five. Right. Through through all of this, you know, like he's going through car wrecks and uh, getting beat up all the time and doing all of these things, but he's still engaging with society, on the surface level, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting aspect, right? Like, um, and I, and I'm not exactly sure. Like the, I agree with you, the, the victim and, and a lot of the time, the people who are the most, uh, are appealing the most to the victimhood label are not the victims themselves. Uh, I think that's one right. of the things that's so annoying about present day, um, America, American culture yeah. is that a lot of the times it's like you're speaking, it's a white person speaking on behalf of a black person claiming victimhood for them. When in reality that black person might say, I'm not a victim, bro. Like mm-hmm. I'm living my life right now. You go, you're addicted. It's a person who's addicted to the victimhood. Uh, no, what?
1: But is the narrator playing victimhood by, recognizing flaws within the society and wanting to change them. Well,
0: and in a, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways he was acknowledging that he was winning at society.
1: He had his Ikea furniture. He had, and his-, he
0: had his floor-to-ceiling windows in his condo with everything material that he could. Um, he wasn't playing a victim card like saying society has been wrong. Like, for instance, Chuck Palahniuk working in a factory Uh as a medial laborer. That's not this guy. This guy was upper tier ivory tower guy. Like he was, he was making big money. He was traveling all the time, you know? Um, So I think that that's one of the the aspects that I think is uh, uh, interesting to bring up and have a conversation around because in a lot of ways he wasn't a victim, you know? It, he, it,
1: he played the game, and then he realized he wasn't fulfilled.
0: Yeah, it was he was not a victim of the society in the fact that he was marginalized by the society. He was a victim of the society in the, the societal fact... societal
1: promises yes. that were being made to him, yeah, which he, they talk about in the book. Like, we are made to believe that we can all become millionaires, that we're going to be celebrities, and that we're going to have this, and we're going to be happy. And he said, we're just now realizing that that's not the case. Like, we're being right. sold these empty promises.
0: Right. Well, I think that's what's interesting about, like... The, the pickup artists and the the male um, advocates picking this book up because I, I guess I never really read that, you know? Like, I think the way I read it was that you've been emasculated by society because you were playing the role of a six quote-unquote successful male, which is not what an actual successful male is because you're not uh, tested kind of a thing, mm-hmm. you know? You're not... Uh, have you ever been in a fight? I've not. Um, have you been close to a fight, like where you're almost in a fight with a person? No, because <laughs> that feeling is is very indescribable. I imagine. You know, they talk about the seeing red, and you you actually um, it's one of those. I, I've been I've been in a few fights, and I've been in the preamble to some fights. Right, so. There there was a fight I had in middle school where I beat a kid in arm wrestling at the table and we we're just messing around and it's the end of lunch and I beat him and we're all kind of laughing. And so I stand up to like walk away from the table and he slaps me in the back really hard. Heck yeah. And when I turned around, he was laughing at me. So we were. And at just, you saw red. Do not remember.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like literally. I mean, I was in a fight. And I went to the principal's office and everything, but I do not remember, I couldn't tell you what happened in that fight. The first thing I remember was walking out um, of the cafeteria, going to the principal's office. So you just
1: blacked out? Just
0: blacked out. And I mean, I was informed afterwards what happened, but it's, it's a way of interacting with your physiology, you know, like your, your conscious mind is not you, you know, that's one of the things that I think is beautiful, like meditation, the point of meditation is to show that you have this perception of who you are, right? This, um, uh, completely cerebral projection of who you are. But if you work for years and years and years at meditation, you can get behind that and, and get to this deeper, self
2: do you remember the feeling you had after you became self-aware after your fight the red went away um was it elation it was elation was it yeah did
1: you win the fight
2: uh yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean it 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 wasn't i wouldn't necessarily nobody win i wouldn't describe it as like a fair fight because he was laughing and i guess i hit him and then we kind of (laughs) scuffled you know i mean i don't remember it you know uh, but then I also I've had another experience where we went to go watch a fight. This uh, kid got some fake weed sold to him. This guy sold him oregano. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I mean, feel this that is middle that I've
1: heard about it on like the internet, but no, this not literally actually happened. It this literally happened.
0: And he, this kid was pissed, so he was going to fight. And so we go down to watch the fight after school, and we're sitting there, and the guy who was going to fight had a stand-in. This guy's going to fight on my behalf. Oh wow. And so we get down there and there's a group of us and we're all kind of waiting in the stand in. Um, basically the kid was saying, no, I'm not here to fight you. I'm here to fight this other guy and I'm not going to fight you. Well, this kid's all amped up for a fight. And so he turns and looks at the kid sitting there and like picks me out of the lineup. And he's like, Hey, what about you? You want to (laughs) fight, you know, you know, and kind of challenges me. And, uh, in that moment I felt terror. I was scared. I was apprehensive and 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 no, I don't want to fight. you know you're ready to fight. I'm not ready to fight I'm not you know I'm not in the moment in the in the mindset. So I was a coward in that experience, right And all of these things uh, to say it it gives you a perspective on not the fakeness that you think you are. But on the the what you actually are these actual emotions right true fear true cowardice true courage right all of these or um, freedom right blacking out and having an adrenaline dump and all these different things right it's it's a visceral real thing and so like that's I think what Tyler Durden's even saying like how much can you know about yourself Mm -hmm. if you've never been in a fight like how much can you know what
1: oh I was just gonna say I think that's what's interesting about the book. And I can see why people maybe rally behind Tyler Durden is because I feel like he critiques things that should be critiqued. He just gives the wrong answer to them.
2: The wrong solution. The
1: wrong solution. Yeah. But he has good critiques in there. But then he just takes them in the wrong direction, I think. But
0: see, I think it's one of the things that's really difficult Like in the moment. Um, I think the Nazis probably could have made a similar argument. Um, I think... Uh, the Roman emperors could have made a similar argument as to the one you're making, right? You're experiencing prosperity. Who cares what the social implications are? You're experiencing all of these benefits from having a stabilized uh, society. So, So, just push your button, just close your door, just go through life. And, um... Not everybody can see that they're being manipulated to, to speak to Shannon's earlier point. Like what is freedom? Is it freedom to have um, all of these college educated, maybe doctoral uh, recipients who know everything about human psychology that current science can produce uh, to have them hired by Nestle to create ads and to create packaging? to to market to me to where they they're not um they're not being careful with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're being blatant. They are trying to brainwash me into buying whatever product they're selling and it's uh, very similar to pushing the button, right? They don't care that the fact that they're selling me something that's going to give me diabetes or make me obese or like really impact my health in a negative way later in life, right? They want that four-year-old Who's standing in line to look at the sugar package and say, "I want that." Mm-hmm. right? It's because it, of
1: money, because regardless of, money. of the impacts it has on anybody else. Yeah, and so
2: I, oh good. So do you think that, all uh, right, what's the goal of life of, of, being, of living on Earth? Is it to have uh, a life that you say I'm, I'm fulfilled in one way or another and I'm generally happy and comfortable? Uh, I'm able to procreate. I'm able to have a decent standard of living. What is, and are we democratizing that goal? Is it becoming more widely acceptable or accessible? Or are we regressing in that goal?
0: So I would um, bow down to spiritual men, Mm -hmm. which I am not of. You know, this is not uh, what I would say. But what I would, um, what I've inferred from people who I would, would maybe infer were enlightened, is that the truest per, like truest goal of being a human is to be in the moment. Right it's it's not a it's not a future thing, it's not a past thing. It's to be free to be in the moment and experience the present moment fully, right? Which I think is one of the cool things that Tyler Durden touches on is he's saying like he, he wants somebody to really be engaged with them in conversation. Mm-hmm. That's why he wants somebody to think he's he's dying with cancer, right? He he wants this fight, this post fight moment of elation where you feel free and you're in the moment. You're experiencing the pain of the moment, right? And so like I think one of the the things that's difficult Whenever you're having this uh, conversation around this line, is um, no, I don't think the goal is to have people be hungry, right? I think part of our goal should be to feed everybody and to have um, moderate amounts of comfort and wealth and prosperity and joy. And like, I think all of those things um, are like on top of what I think the actual purpose of being a human being, right, having a big brain and having a higher level of understanding than animals, is uh, to free yourself from the societal uh, imprints
2: mm-hmm.
0: and be a individual, experiencing the individual moment.
1: But do you think that is a contemporary human no. need?
0: No, I actually think that... Because uh, do you
1: think that people... If you're talking about hunter-gatherer society, that they still had to free their mind from societal... No, no.
0: See, that's what I'm that's what i saying is, I think it's like the copy of the copy of the copy, right? We have religion now to try to supplant something that was naturally human. I think, um, and and even like, uh, have you all ever heard of the documentary, Happy?
1: You've talked, I mean, I've heard about it have from you. Have you ever heard about it?
0: There's a documentary, I believe it's still on Netflix, but they go around to like five different places and it's these different people that like fit the criteria of being happy, you know, and they're all poor. Like they, they all have these like, so they go to like a slum in, uh, like Brazil, they go to this like far Northern, uh, isolated. I think they were maybe Inuit, uh, people, they go to Russia, they go all these different places and they find these different people, and the whole documentary is about how these people are happy. Is it Happy People? Is that the name of it? I think it's called Happy. Oh, okay. I think the I think Happy People might have been a that's a different one a movie. Yeah, somebody told me about. It. But uh, no, Happy. It uh, it I think it's that's what it's called. Um, but they go around and they analyze these people's lives, and what they find that the reason that they're happy is because they are present, right? Mm-hmm. They they say like I love my family, like. My job, they're not making tons of money at it, but they like their job, right? It would be like if you got to fish every day and that was your job. Mm-hmm. Would you care that you were, you know, padding your 401k or that you had a mansion or you had this or that, right? All of these things that
1: were old matters. Well,
0: or that you have to buy to supplant the fact that you're not happy, right? I'm not happy being a CEO of this company, but at least I own a boat and I own two houses and I have a plane. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like a way of supplanting genuine happiness. And so a long roundabout way of saying that I think that the actual goal of being a human and what I actually think the goal of real religion, real spirituality is, and what I think um, modern society is actually evil, like the evilness of modern society is that it wants you to live in this form of alienation where, hey, you know what? You might hate what you're doing right now, but you're earning something in the future, mm-hmm. right? It, it makes you live completely in this cerebrally you're in the future. You're in retirement. You're in when this is all going to pay off. All of this pain that I'm experiencing, or pain, quote unquote, all this boredom and unfulfillment and all this stuff, it will pay off when when it pays off later, down the road, alienating your yourself, to this person, that's going to be exists in the future.
2: Yeah, it's asceticism, like yes. Arthur Schopenhauer. He died back in 1860, but he was about minimalizing your natural desires and and having a more tranquil life just with what you got. Yeah, mm-hmm. asceticism. Yes, uh, or existentialism, right? I
0: mean, yeah. wouldn't ex- existentialism like fit into that? Um,
2: transcendentalism transcendentalism Well, transcendentalism is a form of existentialism, yeah, i think so. but but that's i mean that's a big ask for for somebody that operates in modern society to but why i think why because, is that a big ask well i mean think about it. when you're talking about a hunter-gatherer society are these people that the inuits or uh, they they have to sacrifice a lot of security, uh, more likely to have tragedy befall you most likely not having the comforts of modern society, you know?
0: Yes and no though. Like, I think that's one of the things that's really interesting is, um, and granted, uh, it might get into the weeds with archeological finds, but what they're finding is, you know, the, the likelihood of, uh, a baby dying was pretty high. Uh, there were some uh, hunter-gatherer societies that wouldn't even give a child a name until it could talk. Yeah. You know? Um, But they said it wasn't like the life expectancy was 30. The average of the life expectancy might have been 30, but that's because you had um, like a sixth of the population died before the age of two. An old man was still in his 60s. An old man was still in his seventies, you know? Like people did age to oldness, you know? And so you know uh one of Charles Darwin's critiques of the um uh, what are they what are they called? Is it Aboriginals in Australia? Aborigines. Mm. Aborigines. Yeah. So one of his critique was that they were lazy. They were fat and lazy. They ate bugs. They, which bugs are the highest, you know, form of protein per cow cali- or per like ounce or whatever. Um, and then another critique he had was that, or not critique, but observation was all these Europeans, they were all bundled up in their jackets and they had to sit real close to the fire at night because they were cold, you know, and the Aborigines were naked and they couldn't get within 15 feet of the fire because it was so hot. Right. So I, I do think if you plopped a modern person, um, if you prop, plopped a modern person into that existence, mm-hmm. yeah, they're frail and weak. And, you know, we could not live for very long. We would be very, fr- we are very frail. And so we have to rely on modernity to um, take care of us and protect us. And to be, our, it's like a, if you took a wild lion. Versus a captive lion, mm-hmm. and you put him out on the Serengeti. Well, the captive lion probably isn't going to make it, right? Because he didn't learn how to be a wild lion, yeah. you know. And I think that that's kind of the critique and why Tyler Durden saying we need to completely collapse. And this is where, this is where with between Shannon and myself, and probably you as well. Whenever I read uh, Fight Club, I was like, I would be a space monkey, you know. Like in this circumstance, if I came in contact with Tyler Durden now, granted, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't because I, I feel like I, I'm not really running from anything, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm uh, I try and I've had these outlets in my life. I had wrestling, I had rock climbing, right. I had fire department, where right? I mean, but I,
1: aren't we also moving to a place <laughs> to where we have more land, more room to grow our own food, more No, space no, see,
0: spaces? that's what I'm saying. You are
2: a space monkey. E- yeah.
0: I yeah, I might be a space monkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would rather be Tyler Durden, but maybe I am a space monkey. <laughs> You'd rather be Brad Pitt. You know yeah. I'd work. rather
2: be <laughs> Gosh,
1: I would please. also <laughs> rather you be Brad
0: Pitt. <laughs> oh, as long as I'm not Edward Norton. But I, I do think that like to me that's one of the things that's really interesting about the whole the whole thing is whenever I read Fight Club, I um I like what he's saying. I I agree with him like 90% of it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, we need to do, we need to break some stuff down. We need to break ourselves more, right? We need to suffer more. We need to uh go without meals sometimes. We we we've got to to reestablish zero cuz right now our zero is air conditioned 24/7 you know, never getting in the sun,
1: having Netflix, having and Netflix, having
0: all of these different amenities. That's our zero. So then I am going to get mad in traffic, mm-hmm. right? Cause my zero is, is everything working out perfectly and the world catering to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so yeah, right. I think that that's um, a portion of it is while I do agree that, um, you know, amenities bring a lot of people, Out of undue suffering. Mm -hmm. I think it just creates a whole... Like, the human um, experience is suffering.
1: Well, I think that... you can't
0: escape from it.
1: Everything requires a sacrifice. So, those hunter-gatherer tribes still had... I mean, okay, they're little... the, The babies might not live. That is a sacrifice that they're making for that... Not that they were consciously making. But that was just a part of their life. So, now... The baby mortality rate is probably way lower, but we are having to sacrifice certain things to achieve this. And at what point are we sacrificing more than we would like to for what we're getting in return?
0: And I mean, like suicide in hunter-gatherer societies was non-existent. Yeah. Like there was a lot of societies you would go to and there wasn't even a word for suicide. You know? When I
1: think too, I always like to point out that like even now in today's society, this is late stage capitalism so like this isn't even what like it's so far removed from like what even capitalism began as that there's no boundaries rules anything that we're living within anymore that i don't know i think i do think it's good to question where we're at because it's just so
2: it's hard to call what we have now capitalism because of corporations being engaged yeah. with the government oh it's, yeah it's kind of a scary spot we're in yeah.
1: Oh, yeah so like when it's anti-capitalism it's like well is it anti what capitalism was supposed to be or right. anti-capitalism no, what capitalism and see and to I think into. I think he
0: was a little bit ahead of the curve like he I he was think, seeing it coming I think he was seeing um because it was written in the 90s is that right I think you're right um I think it was written in the 90s and that's Nin- uh
1: 1999 or no
0: no way 99 it might have been 99 um but it it's one of those things that
1: 1996
0: 96 so a big portion of all of our like a lot of our societal issues today started 70 years ago or economic uh problems right started way long ago we are we are in the um and as our children will be right the economic decisions that are being laid today are going to affect somebody 30 years in the future, right? right. And most I mean, of the time, it's passing on the suffering.
1: Well, um, it's like I mean, we don't
0: want to suffer right now. So
1: so other countries can suffer. So other countries I can mean, suffer,
0: and so that future generations can let's suffer.
1: Let's talk about the factories in third world com- uh, countries that are producing our enjoyment while right. they suffer. So I mean, people are suffering currently for our modern-day comfort.
0: Right, and I think that's the, the difficult thing, And one of the things, one of the things that it does get tricky whenever you you start talking because it's like uh, communism is terrible and is not right. It's not a good uh, governmental structure or like economic system. Mm -hmm. But that does not necessarily mean that the inverse is then correct. Like we don't live in like a dualistic world. Correct. And I think um communism once it's taken out of off of paper and applied in the world, it has negative impacts same thing with capitalism right it has it ends up having negative impacts down the road, uh, just that are inherent to dealing with humans I think and the fact that we cannot actually escape the pain that it, the true pain um of death you know I mean no matter how much stuff you buy no matter how much, uh, you try to ignore it, which I think in the United States, we do a really good job of ignoring the fact that we're going to die. It's coming for everybody. And I think that that existential dread is actually what leads to like most of the neurotic behaviors of our society and like of uh, us individually, you
2: know? Um, but, so. what do you mean, like like Bezos, he wants to live forever, so. In some way or another, so he has to live forever in the minds of the people by being one to help populate the, like help populate Mars. Same with Musk. Is that what you mean? Well, I'm, I, I'm actually meaning that... I'm
0: actually meaning uh, individual neurotic neurotic behaviors. So,
2: like, oh, I see. Okay. I think that
0: there's a lot of people who who are going through their life and they're in all of this stuff, and they imagine that they're never gonna die. Oh, okay. right. Yeah. If I get sick, the doctor's gonna save me. If I get in a car wreck, the firemen are gonna pull me out, right? If if I have a hard time, I'm sick
1: because the narrator is sick and he wasn't saved.
0: Right. Well, and I mean I think that's I think that's the thing is the the true salvation comes from the acceptance of that the present moment is literally all you have. You don't have your house, you don't have your car, you don't have a retirement.
1: I do think this is a good time to make parallel between Fight Club and The Great Gatsby. Okay, Which yeah. Palinac specifically does. He says he's just reinventing The Great Gatsby.
2: Mm.
1: Which I think is interesting, talking about wealth and... I don't know.
2: Rejuvenation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm I various. don't...
1: I'm, I'm still trying to work it out in my mind. But I so, think that these topics are... Oh,
2: yeah. Like... Rejuvenation has been a huge theme throughout American history. Like, we had the Civil War, 600,000 dead. After the Civil War, our military was mainly for the purpose of subduing the Native Americans and enforcing Reconstruction in the South. And, and that's all. The men, there was no more war. There was no more expression of masculinity. And then in like the 1895, this is during the Gilded Age, this guy, Frederick Jackson Turner, writes that the frontier thesis, the Ternarian thesis, and he says, all of American development has been so successful because we've been able to expand west. Now, the frontier is closed. What do we do now? We're at a crisis point now. And so we develop a big navy under Roosevelt. We have the Spanish American War, and we mm-hmm. expand outside of, of our geographic boundaries, really. You know, we go to the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Cuba, and all that. And <clears throat> some people say that is a a result of our need for constant rejuvenation uh, of, I don't know, some people say it's the, the patriarchy, you know, that's, that's in control of the way we, we do things, um, and that's what uh, Durden was trying to accomplish on the individual level, was that individual rejuvenation. And setting up franchises. Exactly. Like he's, specific, he's like, yeah, that's my dad just goes
0: town to town setting up franchises. Starts a family right, here, he moves to this same. next place. Starts a yeah. family here, moves yeah. to the next place, you
2: know? But yeah, we're all being raised by, we're all a A, a generation of men raised, raised by, by women. women. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is brilliant, like, yeah. when he says that. Yeah. Or, like, just the perspective, yeah. you know? And it's um, funny that he has it as a bad thing, you know? Because I think boy moms are—they're an interesting breed upon themselves. Mm-hmm. They almost understand what it is to be a boy better than a boy understands what it is to be a boy. You know.
1: Well, and I also think um, it's important to mention that Palinak is gay, right? And oh, that's is he? yeah. Mm-hmm. Which to me, I think as once I learned that, it changed how I view the novel. Because he was writing about masculinity coming from a place where he is no longer defined as masculine. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So he's yeah. like questioning, well, what does it mean to be a man if I'm no longer considered masculine or manly or a man? There's a in whole other society? level now and it is a, actually
2: yeah. kind of a cri-
0: it's a critique. Like that's I think what's yeah what what is interesting about the masculinity in the book is I think a lot of people latched onto it like almost uh, like, oh, yeah, he gets me, you know? But in a lot of ways, he's actually critiquing, he's
1: critiquing. Me, yeah
0: me, you know? And so, yeah, he does actually understand me better than I understand myself, but... um
2: I wonder if all these pickup artist nerds know that the author of their Bible was gay. Yeah.
1: I've always wondered that if, <laughs> if people who do kind of idolize... The book and Tyler Durden, if they know that. No,
2: they're not reading too deeply into yeah. that book at all. Um, all right, Great Gatsby. Yeah. So, I, as an English teacher, I've read it once and I didn't really enjoy it all that much. I was, the Great Gatsby
1: is one of my favorite books. I was more
2: of a Hemingway guy myself, mm. which those two, you know, they had, they would, uh, I remember hanging out with Gertrude Stein. They would uh, sit down at a bar and have a competition who can write the best short story in six words. And one of this might be an apocryphal story; it may not have happened. But Hemingway's was like, uh, "Baby shoes for sale, never worn," and then he won the competition. <laughs> baby oh. shoes for sale, never worn. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, yeah. tragic. He always you, said that if nobody uh, dies, you can't have a good story. You know. Yeah,
1: I would say it brings up the emotion. You know, yeah. he knows how to do that. And yeah. you know, I appreciate,
2: I, you know, I appreciate their his his role in in modern literature. But yeah. what I remember from the book is societal excesses. Uh not really any direction in life. And then
1: Well, and it's all about the American d- dream. Right. Like can you can you achieve enough wealth to did you achieve see the movie? this American Mm-mm. dream? The is it a good movie? Oh it really is good. I good think job. they did a good job with it. And like yeah. stayed pretty true to the book. Oh yeah. It was yeah.
0: like I felt like it was a movie created by a fan of the book. Yeah. In in the actual sense. Like they yeah. weren't trying to create a new movie. They were trying to create the movie of the book. Yeah. So I, I thought it it actually, it was one of those things where I always liked The Great Gatsby. I enjoyed the book. Shannon really likes it, but then once I saw the movie, then the it really like clicked a couple of of things for me that they that they did in it, but. But continue, babe.
1: Well, just this idea of Gatsby trying to achieve this level of wealth to become something. For? For love. I mean, for Daisy. Um, But he can't. He can never achieve it. He can never be that. The American dream is a lie. Like, even as much as he wants to be one of these wealthy people, and as much as he does become a wealthy person, he's not achieving anything that he thought was promised to him. Daisy's never going to love him because he's not (laughs) real rich. He's fake rich. Or new rich. And so it just talks about this idea of the American dream that we're all trying to achieve, but it's all an illusion. You can have all of the money in the world. That doesn't mean that you are what people are aspire- aspiring to be or think that you are going to become when you achieve these things.
2: Yeah, so he's like a mirror image of our, our a normal protagonist in the in Fight Club. Mm-hmm. He is a he doesn't even have a name.
1: Well, so yeah, and then in um, Great Gatsby, there's Nick Car- Carraway, who's kind of like the narrator, mm-hmm. who's just watching this all right. play out, you know, of like these.
0: And he's like, he's kind of a uh, a nobody. Yeah. Like he's not rich enough to be the rich, but he's not poor enough to be the poor. He's kind of.
1: But he's just watching a real, like an old wealth and a new wealth fight over love and success and all they have is just all this stuff and they're oblivious to other people and they're just consumed in their worlds of like give me more so that I can be the man that Daisy wants me to be you know like they're all fighting for Daisy's love and trying to be the the American man mhm so
0: but what is the um is that what you were reading
1: yeah, I mean, he really doesn't go into detail about the comparison. Mm. But he does say that he thought he was right. He views this as like a reinvention of the Great yeah. Gatsby. Yeah, wow. it's,
2: it's a lot of parallels. I yeah, guess. which <laughs>
1: I never... like that, Great Gatsby is one of my all-time favorite books, and I never had thought that mm-hmm. until I read it. I was like, oh, well, that, that makes perfect sense. And oh. then it was funny, too, because I was just reading Walden by Thoreau just separately. And Thoreau is, again, one of my favorite authors. And so he talks about moving into the woods, building house. You need to kind of get away from society because society's telling you you need all these things and you don't. And that was written in the late 1800s. And it was just funny. Again, I didn't pick them up together on purpose. But I'm reading that as I'm reading Fight Club. And it's like, huh, just different, completely different authors from different time periods writing the same message in completely different ways. Well, and that's oh, why yeah. that's it's, why
0: I think it's I I think it's we like to consider modernity like it's like we're in the beginning of it or like we're just like now experiencing it. But I I really actually think it might go way further back.
2: Oh yeah. There's nothing know? new under the sun. Yeah. I mean, you've had writers and religions and people say the same thing for yeah, forever that Detach yourself from the external world, focus inwardly, and there's where you'll find some peace and solace. But I
0: yeah. wonder if the invention of religion was a response to modernity, right? So um, once once some of the things, like the, the prehistory, like once history was invented, then religion had to be invented, right? Because then we started living within a context of versus like, when there, do you
1: say that history was invented?
0: I mean, I think it's pretty obvious when history is invented. You know,
1: is it? I mean, I could then well, please like, enlighten me because I'm I'm not sure. So I, guess I would where you're I going. would say
0: that like history was invented probably six thousand years ago. You know, Fertile Crescent um, expands, and now you have a whole class of people who are free from food production. Because of storing grains and farming and...
2: Totalitarian agriculture. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so, like, once you have that, then you have this stratification of of society from... Whereas in a hunter-gatherer society, it's really about pulling your own weight, right? Like, I cannot pull the weight for you. Like, you have to pull your own weight. Well, now you're in a c- circumstance where
2: don't have to work all the time you yeah, can write it, something down or paint a pot
0: or, yeah yeah you you need to contribute yeah but you don't have to pull your weight so then you have uh, an elite ruling class you have managers you have all of these different people these uh people who are alienated from their work There, they now live in a world where they have to create a way of justifying their existence so in that they they start creating propaganda and they start creating um Myths that don't just serve a purpose of uh, telling you where you came from. Now the myths are telling you why why this guy who's not working, why he's not working. Well, the reason he is because he's better than you. He's smarter. He belongs there, right? He's the the Buchanan uh, versus the Gatsby. Well, why is that guy the rich person who plays, you know? Well, that's just who he is, right? There's a, a myth of elitism this myth of uh of uh inherent value that comes from your name right and so like i think i think a lot of those things like uh, hunter gatherer societies um, most of them well i don't know i can't say most of them but there is evidence that uh particular hunter gatherer societies took their mother's name they ascribe themselves to who their mother was, not who their father was. Yeah. Native American studies, they were
2: matrilineal. Mm -hmm.
0: And so like that completely changes a whole lot of uh, family, like family structure and also where you came from and where does your wealth come from? Where does your significance come from? And um, there's just a whole lot of shift. And so I think uh, a lot of the spiritual angst, That religion confronts and um, tries to conceptualize for us is actually a result of not having a purpose, not not knowing who you are, not knowing where you are, um, but that there is a context, right? So there is a map now, and I have to know where I'm at on the map. And I think modernity invented the map, uh, so to speak. I don't know. Does that make sense? I thought it was just because of daddy issues. (laughs) Yeah. No, kidding. Well, definitely. I mean, one, you know, a lot of hunter-gatherer societies, they didn't know who their dad was. You know? And I think that that you didn't know who your kid was. That could be my kid right there. So I'm willing to sacrifice a lot more for the betterment of the entire tribe.
1: Because any of these kids could be my kid. Because any of
0: these kids could be my kid. Mm -hmm. You know? So, but... Anyway, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Uh, what final thought on Fight Club,
2: Brad? Uh, I, as I said, I really enjoyed reading the book. It was a fun exercise. I hadn't uh, done that kind of mental gymnastics in a while, since I stopped teaching. Really, mm. you know, I've read some history books and and stuff, but I haven't really analyzed them that deeply. It was good to get those muscles going again. Yeah, I'd he, recommend it. I, uh, oh, Shannon.
1: Oh, I'm just thinking. You can continue for a second. I was Here gonna say to it kind of
0: pissed me off reading it because it's his first novel. You know, it's like dang, right off the gate he wrote Fight Club. You know, mm-hmm. and I actually don't think any of his other books have reached. Have you read any other Baloney? No. The I've read several other ones, and like there are some interesting aspects to each one, but I don't think any of them uh, reached the height of Fight Club. The, yeah, like the the. The impact, the, um, and just the artistry of, of the, the work. I mean, like how you're like, you're like reading it and you're like, okay. And I can see now when you say that, how you can say he was writing it for the everyday reader. Um, but he was, he was flexing Mm -hmm. through it. You know, he was, he was showing off. Yeah. Saying I am a great writer. Well, and it's interesting. Oh,
1: inter- oh. good. I was gonna say, I wonder from like an English teacher's point of view, because to me sometimes like when I like think about high school or even undergrad writing, it's supposed to be a certain way, and then you read this and it's like, well, he's just doing everything you're not supposed to do. Well, that's
2: that's another part of modern literature. I mean, you look at uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy that mm-hmm. wrote. I mean, he's my favorite author, and once you know the rules of the English language, then you can bend them and break them so, to serve your purpose in the prose.
1: But as an English teacher, like if a student had brought you a paper like this, would you have critiqued him or would you have commended him?
2: Well, of course I would commend them. Are you, do you mean, uh,
0: like what, what if a what if a student turned in, uh, like, a Cormac McCarthy type yeah. writing. Yeah. You know, something that's weird, uh-huh. something that when you, it's like,
1: what?
0: You know, it's almost like you, you said, like, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Right. Um,
1: well, like starting a sentence with a conjunction, and we say, oh, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't start with your sentence with a butt. But then it's like, I mean, then authors do that all the time. Yeah. No, and that's, that's like
2: informal writing. If I'm writing a, a memo to, to my employees at work, the writing will be different. So that's why we've learned how to write in different settings. Mm. There's different genres of writing. And in fiction, you know, uh, the way you write a sentence, you uh, adjust it in order to get a certain uh, thought across. Right. Or the way you're writing this whole this whole story can be, the rules can be bent.
0: And so I guess if, if somebody's fine. turning in <laughs> a paper to you and it's a analysis, of a text. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can't write.
2: You're going to be writing like you're in college. Yeah, you're, you're doing an writing analysis it, of a writing paper.
0: You're going to be writing it as if yeah. you can't write it with a whole bunch of creativity. Now you can be creative in your thoughts. Right. But it's like, I've got to be able to understand what is. You're going to follow
2: the AMA style of writing. Right. Now, when you write a story, a piece of fiction, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Cut your wolf please. do whatever you want. Do you
0: think that they do a very good job of teaching that? Or like...
2: I, I mean, we try to get that point across. Yeah. yeah, we go over the different genres of writing and and have them write in each genre. Uh, but think about in high school. I mean, me, I was a late bloomer. I was just going through the motions in high school. Right, right. You know, yeah. my grade. I got football practice. You know that kind of. Yeah. And then and then you get out in the real world and you see other things. Right. So I mean, if 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 they get the basics, they get the uh, it's teaching them how to think. That's really the main thing is teaching them how to be thinking citizens, be productive citizens so that they don't take any information from the, from the advertising companies. So they don't just take in, uh, Fox news or MSNBC as, as if it is truth. And they're able to parse this bullcrap from this, this, uh, this bullcrap, you know, that's the goal I think we're failing. Do you think that,
0: that's though? the goal, though? Of like public I education? Public
2: education, the goal is to create, to help develop free thinking citizens that can contribute to society in see, a healthy way. And see, see
1: I'd almost, and, and this is, I'm not, I've never been a teacher. So this is just a student's perception. It almost seems like everything you just said, but take out the free thinking. To, you know, it, it's, Molding children into becoming a a contribution to society by, yeah,
0: citizen because but not necessarily free thinking. In a lot of ways, that's how the public education system was created, right? Was for factory workers. We want to be able to send a paper from California to New York, have that person be able to read it, and then we also want them to be able to like stand in line, clock in, clock out. Follow rules.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm not saying you know. our current pedagogy is the most appropriate way to achieve that. We teach today in a classroom of 30 kids like uh, a monk would have taught his pupils back in the day how to, how to by rote memorization, memorize the Bible. That's how we teach. Uh, ideally, we'd have a, a large room where there's kids creating with a teacher together, learning a certain skill, exercising this part of the brain move on to a different teacher and they analyze and they create and they put things together and synthesize stuff.
0: And now you're saying that and Chuck Palanak worked in a factory and Mm -hmm. he grew up in public school, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think a portion of, of his Tyler Durden narrator character was the result of being dictated to mm-hmm. and told to remember and told to this and told, you know? Yeah. And even the way that he then is forming his society as a result of...
1: Well, and I like how the Space Monkeys start repeating Tyler Durden's words. You know, like he says and they're just blatantly repeating what Tyler Durden says to them. You know, and just, like you said, just rote memorization. Right. right. They're just memorizing what Durden says. Yeah. Repeating it.
0: Shannon, final thoughts on Fight Club? Um...
1: I mean, I obviously like it. I enjoy reading it. I enjoy the movie. I think it's a great book to make you ask questions about society. Eh. Hmm. So read it.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to sum up everything in, like, one last thought. It shouldn't
2: make you mad at the world, you know, like some guys have. Yeah.
1: Don't use it to be angry, but use it to just ask questions and see what you need to do as a citizen, as an individual.
0: Right. Um... I think my final thought is uh, there's a reason I picked it as the first book. I do think, I, I don't think that the path to a better future is destruction. I think it's creation. And that's the biggest thing that I thought that the book missed. Um, the, the book, The Space Monkeys, Project Mayhem, was all about destroying and was not about creating. And I think that that, to me, um, is, is the spot where, now granted, I think the book did a great job of showing that, of showing, of, you know, you don't, it's like, uh, you don't write the book to tell somebody what to think, you write the book to inspire them. And I think that, to me, the direction that the book should drive you is to realize, yes, Project Mayhem Fight Club was a failed operation but the failure was not in the questioning of society. The failure was in the the ineptitude of the main character to create a replacement. And uh, so I think that's, to me, that's the takeaway is I think it's less about like project mayhem and more about like it should be more like inspirational it should be more creation it should be more uh regeneration not cre- like not destruction so yeah. um anyway yeah thank you Brad for reading yeah. it enjoyed it. it um and uh until next time individuals listeners uh peace out